Hello everyone, Maayang Adlao. Welcome back to Philippine Action Wellness. What a strong first episode to season two when we opened up with Dr. Arnel Calvario for our discussion last month on occupational therapy and autism acceptance. Our opening track that you were just listening to was Help Me by Richie. For this month's episode, Philippine Excellent Wellness presents Malayan Midwifery with Joanna Galvez in honor of our mothers. My name is Cheryl Sampson Ramirez. My chosen pronouns are she, her, xia. I'm ethnically Bisayan and Chinese, currently streaming from the traditional territories of the Tongva and Kich people, also known as Los Angeles. I'd like to introduce our new host for the evening, covering for both Safo and Ryan, who is also our temporary social media strategist, Kat. Thank you, Shara. Magandang gabi, kababayan, and everyone globally. My name is Kathleen Christine Toyo, and my pronouns are she, her, and sha. My family is from Pangasinan, and I am currently streaming from Temecula, California. And now I'd like to introduce our stage and tech manager for this episode from SoCal Filipinos, Edmund. Hi everyone, I'm Edmund Flores. Uh, my chosen pronouns are he, him, his. Uh, my family is from Tondo, Manila and Bawang La Union in the Philippines. Currently streaming from uh, Valencia, California. And now passing it back to Cheryl to continue with the vision and disclaimer. Thanks Edmund. Philippine X and Wellness's vision is to support the wellness of the Philippine X community through resource sharing, podcast streams, and partnerships with professionals and organizations in order to live a healthier, happier, and more fulfilling life. If you're not following us already, please feel free to follow us at Philippine X and Wellness with a P ending with an X in Wellness on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube and on Twitter via the handle at PhilippineX, the letter N, the word well, followed by the letters NNF. We honor this safe space by asking everyone to speak and listen respectfully from your heart throughout our time together. This pre-recorded session can be accessed through our PhilippineX in Wellness and SoCal Filipinos YouTube channel and on Apple Podcasts. Please subscribe to our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Philippinex in wellness as always. To our listeners, we'll be sure to share any questions that you have front-loaded our team within our episodes. Please keep in mind that anything that is discussed today is for informational and educational purposes only. It is not meant to be medical advice. Always consult with your health care practitioner for your particular condition, especially before starting any exercise or new health program. Philippinex in Wellness was formed to provide a dialogue around topics that affect the wellness of our Philippinex community. We're here to also highlight Philippinex individuals and organizations that are actively doing wellness work. Without further ado, today's guest speaker is Joanna Galvez. Joanna Galvez is a queer Philippine ex licensed midwife, IBCLC, educator and creator. Malaya Midwifery was founded in 2015. Joanna loves to weave birthing traditions with modern medicine. We would like to welcome to Philippine Ex and Wellness for the first time, Joanna Galvez. 
Hi, Joetta. Hi. How are you doing today? I'm good. It's hot. It's really a <laughs> spring day. Is there anything that you'd like to add to your introduction for our guests? Um, did you want me to introduce um, my lineage and where sure. I'm at? Sure. So, magandang um, gabi. My name is Joanna Galvez. Um, my maternal lineage is from Malolos, Bulacan, and my dad is from Pampanga. I'm currently living, serving, and working on Tongva Akachiman land, AKA South Bay of LA, specifically Long Beach. Thank you for having me, Filipinx Wellness. Yeah, we're so excited to bring you on as well. Um, so we wanted to dedicate this episode to our mothers or nanais inahan in alignment with Mother's Day. So let's start off with explaining what midwifery or midwifery entails. Joanna, if you could explain to our listeners um, and our guests, what is midwifery? What's and what's the difference between midwifery and having a doula? Are they the same thing? Or are they different? Let's start there. Yeah, um, so midwifery is one of the oldest professions. Um, we were the experts in caring for and attending birthing people. Um, from the conception of humanity, there have been people accompanying birthing people. Um, so that might look like using food, nutrition, herbs, body work, breath work, meditation, all to safeguard birthing people and families. Um, Home birth was the norm. Home birth was where people gave birth until obstetrics and hospitals um, took a shift into institutionalized birth instead of out of hospital birthing. Um, yeah, in the world, some people around the world, midwives can be really integrated into the system, but that's not the case here in the United States. Um, there's a big difference between doulas and midwives and there's benefits to both of them. So doulas are non-medical support people. Um, that's a really great question. People don't often know the difference of that. So a doula is somebody who can offer support. They can do education. They can give physical support. They can be a companion in navigating birth options, um, but they're not able to do any medical assessments. So they're a great asset to any birthing team, anyone who's pregnant and looking for their options, but they can't do the care. Um, as midwives, I am a medical professional. So I'm an expert in low-risk pregnancy. Um, there are different types of midwives. I happen to be a home birth midwife, certified professional midwife and licensed in California. Some people are registered nurses and work in hospitals um, and birthing centers. And the difference might be that a doula as non-medical, like you could have them as a support person. You can have me as a midwife and I would manage your care, look over your prenatal care, make assessments, and a doula would support in that process and at birth, but you wouldn't hire just a doula. Or you could hire an OB and have a doula support you through maybe navigating a hospital birth or a birthing center birth, but you wouldn't hire just the doula for that. Um, and our training is really different. So a doula might take a training that's a weekend or four days where my licensure required three to five years um, medical training. I had to apprentice, attend births, and then take a national board exam. And I also wanted to say that in times when we're like honoring 
I want to honor mothers today too, nanas, inas, and um, all birthing people. And any time that we're honoring birthing people, I want to hold space for um, those who've also parented without birthing and chosen to care for folks, um, those who've carried miscarriage or loss in their journey in our communities, um, and those who have chosen that they don't want to parent. Um, I want to hold space for all of those people. Yeah. That is so sweet. Um, I have another question for you. Sure. Um, what are the benefits of having midwife when birthing people? Can you explain to us what the different stages are or what the journey is like for birthing people when working with midwife versus what it's like to not have one? Sure. Um, well, I mean, having a midwife, one is people do like to have a connection with a provider. So like in the case of someone hired me, they see me, you know, they see me on a regular basis. It's not like um, they, they see different people in their care and the journey of pregnancy can be really tender. And so knowing the person you're gonna, who's going to tend to you, um, do your labs and in the end be at your birth uh, can be a really supportive part of care. Like, other things that can be beneficial is it can reduce inductions, it can reduce the risk of preterm labor, um, it can reduce the rate of C-sections, there's a decreased need for people to use anesthesia like epidurals, better start for breast and body feeding. So people who are going to maybe use a midwife as a low, as a provider who um, specializes in low risk, it's my job to look at your labs, ultrasounds and everything in order to determine that someone is low risk. And if they're low risk, then we can try for a home birth. And so what that means is they actually don't ever have to go into a hospital unless something shows in their medical history that they actually need to go in and get higher level care. So in California, I think the most recent statistics say that for low-risk families who intended to have out-of-hospital births, 85% of the time we get to stay home and that we have home births. And that's pretty high. People are often curious, like, well, how often do people actually have home births? Well, the number of people who have home births is like 2%, but the number, and within that number, 85% of those people are a good candidate to be at home. Um, so if someone wanted to hire, we would look over medical history. I would look at food. If they are going to do labs, I would do labs in my office. If they want to do ultrasounds, they can have access to ultrasounds and I would refer them out. And the care is the same schedule as OB care, but with a really different touch. Um, so there's a lot of counseling and education that might come with every appointment. I will use labs and Dopplers to assess babies. I will also use analog tools, which I might have here. Um, I will use my hands in the absence of ultrasounds and when my hands can't tell me, I might ask them to utilize ultrasonography to make sure babies are in good positions. Um, and so we take the time for prenatal care to make sure that people are in fact low risk and that if they need any sort of holistic interventions that we can try that first before we move into medicine or medical interventions. And if it works, then we continue on. And if it doesn't, then they get um, some support from a medical provider to help navigate the system as well. Um, and then we also create emergency plans because anything can happen at birth. 
And so I think that that's something that people really like to know is like, what if we need medical attention? I am an urban midwife. I am very fortunate to have a hospital in like 10 to 15 minutes in any direction. And that's not the case for all midwives. And so we talk about that, like what it might look like if we need to go into a hospital. And if we don't, that we'll continue to care and assess at home. Um, so if they are term and 37 weeks and a low risk, then we just wait for them to go into labor. And we've done a lot of education about what normal birth can look like. Um, so I go to their home when they're in labor and I check on them and they're able to move and eat and utilize many different tools in order to get them through the most intense, powerful journey of birthing um, until their baby arrives. Um, other things that people like about home birth is they don't have to go anywhere. So as long as we haven't had to utilize any emergency help, then we just stay home. And all of those assessments that happen in the labor and delivery room happen at home. So me and my team are gonna assess the birthing person, make sure that they're normal, transitioning normal. I'm actually allowed to carry some emergency medications to stabilize people. Um, and that's the only time I actually get to use medications. But if I need to, then I'll use some medication and help support that transition. If a baby needs help, then I might help them as well. And if we can resolve everything, then we stay home and tuck them into bed and do some pretty um, like uh, comprehensive assessment postpartum. So I come to their house again to check on birthing person and baby. Uh, at um, 24, 48 hours, at one week, two weeks, and then six weeks is when um, California says that the baby and birthing person are out of my scope of care. Um, so oftentimes that intimacy helps people be vulnerable and ask questions. People want midwives to be able to ask for options. Um, yeah, and it's a relationship. We're not being told what's going on, we're being educated, and then we're able to exchange what kind of interventions we can use, and then families actually get to try to uh, make changes nutritionally, exercise, emotionally, spiritually, in order to help them continue to stay low risk. Sweet. Yeah. In your bio, um, I had a question. It, sure. it, we said IBCLC. What is IBCLC? Yeah, I'm an international. So CPM is Certified Professional Midwife. That's my national um, certification. In California, in order to practice, you have to gain a license from the medical board, which governs OBs and other um, medical professionals. So I carry my license as a midwife. And IBCLC is a board-certified um, lactation consultant. Um, so I actually have another practice in which I help people in the postpartum period around breast and body feeding and their goals. Okay, thank you. Hi, Joanna. Um, yeah. Uh, I have a question uh, because um, we have a two-year-old son. He was just, so 2019 in August, and you know, we, my wife gave birth at Kaiser and we actually mm -hmm. had a midwife come and do the birthing and our her actual doctor wasn't even there just a, out of curiosity do you when you go into the hospital setting do you ever get any pushback from the doctors there or any of the staff it was just 
um, because we had the midwife the whole time and it was awesome, you know. Um, so I was just curious on, on that, you know, uh, aspect of things. Thank you. Oh, first of all, thanks for sharing that. That's really um, a big share. So thanks. Yeah, I am. So I'm a home birth midwife and there are certified nurse midwives that work within the hospital. And so it sounds like that was a nurse midwife. Um, when I'm coming from the home setting into a hospital setting, it's usually that we no longer have what we need to keep these fam this family safe. And so I call and I make a full report and I say, hey, I'm a licensed midwife. This, this is the history. These are the labs. These are the ultrasounds. This is everything around this patient. And these are their needs. To be really honest, Historically, there was a lot of pushback, like, what are you guys doing? Why are you at home? Birth is supposed to be in the hospital. Like, in 2009, I can recall a birth here in, in Long Beach, and the nurse was like, in Tagalog, but she was just like, what are you guys doing? Do you want to kill this baby? Why are you at home? And we're like, oh, actually, on the opposite, we're trying to keep them safe. And home birth is no longer safe, and this is the appropriate place for us to be. Um, and that was a little bit more hostile. I think now that there's birth centers and a lot of education around birthing options and people are really curious, it has really changed the landscape here in the city. I can't speak to like more rural places or like where there aren't medical students who are in school with doulas. That's a little different, I think. But I, I feel pretty fortunate to be near Long Beach Memorial, UCI and in this area. Great question. We feel very fortunate to have you on our podcast. So, Joanna, we want to learn more about you and and really find out more about what was your journey towards being a midwife? And were there a series of events that led you on this path? Did you wake up with an awakening? Like, was there an inspirational moment? Tell us more about what brought you to this profession or just this career choice. Yeah, um, everything, everything and anything. Um, specifically, I can recall like very cold fall day in Montreal and my Ate had asked me to be her doula, which at that time I had zero idea what a doula was and probably what a midwife was. But I thought, hey, uh, women and people are powerful and they can do things. Um, and we played a lot of mahjong. And it was 36 hours later, my Ata had her birth. And in that room was so much like, her healthcare was full of care. She had so much education around birth. And there was like so much dignity around this experience that I was really curious. Um, and backing up, I did a lot of women's work or like women's retreats, art, empowerment. And I had this you know, idea that we're powerful. And I also really believed in choice, that we should have autonomy in what happens with our body. But I didn't know anything about birth. I didn't know what our choices were around, um, around uh, birthing. So my auntie had a home birth. And um, my Lola was like, what are you guys doing? You didn't, we didn't move to the States so you can go birth at home, go to the hospital. <laughs> And um, 
I didn't have a very, like, I didn't have a really big awareness of home birthing. So at that time, Ata had her home birth and my nephew was born at home in the call, which means he was like in this amniotic sac with full of fluid looking around. And um, she was supported by her partner and my tita was there and we had our cultural food. And my Lola was like, do you have tahong? Do you have all of these like postpartum foods? And I was like, no, I don't have that. But can you tell me more about it? So I say that that whole experience made me curious about our birthing traditions. Um, I didn't know about this profession. I, I started to doula in LA in 2009, 2010, 2011. And at that time, there weren't a lot of doulas. Um, in fact, there was one black midwife in the state of California. I didn't know one Filipino licensed midwife or doula at that time, which is thankfully very different now. Um, I was really getting curious about what was happening to us. Like I was learning about different cultures, practices and outcomes around birth, but I didn't know about Filipinos. Um, I knew that I was born naturally. I knew that my cousins were either born at home um, or naturally in a hospital. I knew that my parents, I started to learn that they were born at home, but I didn't, um, I didn't understand why my cousins were being told, you're too small. I don't know if you can have a baby. You should probably induce. And most of my cousins here on this side had C-sections. So I just needed to learn a lot, a lot more. Um, I wanted to learn more about the clinical side. And so after dueling in LA and a couple of years of knowing it didn't have to be that way, like my auntie's birth was full of dignity and integrity and I just could not feel that in the hospital setting. And I knew something different. I had to figure out what is available to us and, and what is what makes that setting safe. And as a doula, I didn't have to know anything clinical. So I had to, I decided I wanted to go to school. What happened after that? Oh, you know, um, I went to school. So I went to school in San Diego at that time. I mean, I tried to become a midwife. And in that in that moment, most of the midwives in California are white. It was really difficult to get an apprenticeship. It was really difficult to find my way into midwifery. And so I was really fortunate to be part of a POC cohort in San Diego. And we just studied. We would study all of our midwifery training, our books, get basic skills. But I still needed to get an apprenticeship. And that meant that I could observe and follow a midwife. And since it was so hard, I ended up going to the Philippines and I was able to observe in a maternal hospital there and um, a lying in clinic or a, a small birthing center run by certified midwives. And that's honestly where I got most of my skills because everyone was willing to teach me there where it was really difficult to get someone to teach me here. Um, and so I'm really grateful to those midwives and to those doctors who allowed me to sit in. And when I came back, I was able to have an apprenticeship and begin my process. Um, yeah, so I lived in San Diego and worked on the border. Oh, Edmund has a question, actually. Um, he asked, um, culturally, if midwifery is strongly pushed in the Philippines. Hmm. I mean, midwif that's a great question. Midwifery is, midwives were the primary care providers for pregnant people in the Philippines. However, um, the first time I went home, I think was 2011, 2012, and the laws were changing to make home birth illegal. 
Um, and so you would either have to go back to school to get your certified midwifery, become a certified midwife, or it would be illegal to practice. So midwifery is culturally a part, is definitely um, very close in our lineage. Like my mom's whole family, like all of that generation was born at home. But the culture around midwifery now is very different. You either have to go back to school or you can't practice. Um, which we could talk about. Well, I'd, I'd be curious to know, like, what are the differences between learning in San Diego, your education as a midwife in San Diego versus what you experience in the Philippines? I, I know that could be a loaded question, but maybe like if you could share some of that, the distinctions of what you learned. Um, the environment uh, okay, how can I answer this? Well, one, it's very nice to learn in the Philippines. Like, to be in a barangay health center with a lot of, like, mga buntes, like, pregnant people talking and chatting, and it's kind of, like, lively, and then, you know, it's more collective. There wasn't a lot of barriers, like, oh, HIPAA, don't talk here, like, this room. Like, it's it was a collective experience, especially in the lying-in clinic. There, you know... Um, lots of people want to be midwives. And so in the clinics there, there were white, there were a lot of white people who don't speak the Galog. And so it was a little difficult to watch the language barrier and to really think is care happening if you can't communicate across the lines. Um, however, the, the process was pretty similar. Like what we had to assess, what we had to learn, that was pretty consistent. It was just being in culture, being in food, being in, in our language, which was really different. Um, in San Diego, I don't know exactly how to answer this question. Can you, like, in terms of, like, my learning experience or the environment? Let's, let's dive into, like, maybe some of, like, the distinctions between what you learned in your, in your education um, in San Diego and then what you learned from the birthing centers. What were some of those distinctions or were there, you kind of said, alluded to that there kind of were one and the same, but... Did you find anything that might have been different culturally also in the learning environment? I mean, other than what you mentioned, I mean, you did talk about HIPAA and yeah. Yeah, I mean, culturally, it's just different. We're going to talk about our food, right? Like, you might be in there and there's a, a student who's like, Anong masaketsa yang katuan? And they're like, what? what was that you know and honestly a lot of the it was really difficult to watch people practice on brown bodies it was actually that trip that made me decide that i wouldn't go back to the philippines to learn until i actually had skills so in that experience um there was you know a lot of assessments but there was um some really direct practices right like in terms of um how the community comes together around birthing clinics, like how someone might be the taxi for emergency, how someone who might be struggling with hypertension or high blood pressure, the midwife would assess, is this a clinical indication or is this you didn't, you're malnourished and you need protein? So they would say, boy, someone here, go get a chicken. You eat this whole chicken and then we're gonna take your blood pressure after. Whereas here we don't have all of those, like you're gonna eat this whole pot of tinola and let's see what happens. And that was a, a um, they were able to use more direct tools where here in the States, maybe I'm not gonna do that. Maybe I'm not gonna buy as the neighbor for a chicken, 
you know, but I might give a different medical recommendation. Um, and my neighbor doesn't have chicken, so I can't technically do that. Either. <laughs> um, and so it was what was accessible. You know, I did really love my experience in San Diego because we were able to serve the border populations and they brought over their cultural practices and their food and their traditions and we got to learn from them. Yeah, uh, that's it's because I wasn't your neighbor. That's why you didn't have chickens next to you. I know. I, wait, do you have chickens? <laughs> I grew up with chickens until I didn't. I didn't. I don't now, but yeah, I did grow up with chickens. Yeah, we need that slogan and that tinola. Right, because my mom was faking it and said that she had. Oh, she was allergic to animals with fur. It's like, man, that's not fair. The, the midwives in the Philippines are really great. They're very, they would say, oh, the midwives, they're matapang. But, and like, it's an insult, but actually they're just really strong. It's like not an insult at all. <laughs> and they're really direct. They're like, this is what we need to do here. And they, um, yeah, they had a lot of really beautiful traditions around body work too. I think that's another thing that I'm forever learning. Well, Joanna, we're grateful to have you here and Wanted to also give you a shout out to our former guest, Melissa Roxas, for referring you to us as our featured guest. This has been an informative first half of our episode so far. Thank you all for joining us for season two of Philippinex in Wellness. We're talking with Joanna Galvez of Malaya Midwifery. Don't go away. Feel free to take a quick stretch, refill your water or tea. We'll be right back after this quick break. Body's a lot stronger than your brain sometimes. And you gotta catch your brain up. Your muscles will be ready to keep going. Your brain will have its limit. You know what I'm saying? And be like, I can't do no more. And then your body will follow suit. But when you can break the mental barriers, you'll, be, you'll notice, damn, I can do way more. I was crazy. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I had way more in me. They talk about getting cake when we making crumbs Telling me to go to battle with a staple gun Rocking a hazmat suit just to make a run Picking up some Jameson in Jamaica rum We living dangerous, po-po, keeping the curfew Now they got more freedom to hurt you When you got nothing, what's the reason for virtue? Why would you trust some politician demon to serve you? So we prefer to keep the circle fortified Take it upon ourselves to be organized Capitalism got the toilet paper overpriced Big religion people thinking they can hope for crisis Why all we got is us is the mantra better believe they trying to divide and conquer a people that's united is a people that's stronger i promise you the ones on my altar i got you we gon' make it through just like we always do we gon' make it through just like we always do we gon' make it through just like we always do we gon' make it through like we always do Don't wait, hustle and motivate We got so much at stake, that's why I'm so awake I can't create something copied off a boilerplate I'm from the ghetto landscape of the golden state Where we incorporate the attitude of holding weight No breaks, going in circles and roller skates They telling me to have faith, but I don't relate Something from nothing is the way that we communicate Yes, welcome back to Philippine X and Wellness you were just listening to the track Make It Through by Kiwi Elefante, featuring Montreal musicians Harvey Drums and David Osei Afrifa of Urban Science. 
You can find more of Kiwi's music on Apple Music, YouTube, or his website, Kiwizzo, that's Kiwi with two Zs, dot wordpress.com. As always, we believe in supporting the financial wellness of the musicians that we feature. So if you'd like to purchase Rites of Passage, Portraits of a Sun Rising, Kiwi's album, you can purchase it via Apple Music or Amazon. Returning from our break, we've been talking with Joanna Galvez about midwifery, and I did definitely want to um, share uh, that we'd like to thank our former guest, Melissa Rojas, for referring you to our podcast today. Yes. So Joanna, tell us more about your passion projects. Oh, okay. Well, I think I have a lot of passion projects. One, I'm an educator. Um, coming up in midwifery in a really lonely place with not a lot of diversity, I, I, I spent a lot of time training BIPOC midwives. Um, I have the honor of working with the Black Maternal Center for Health Excellence to address Black birth disparities because Black people in this country are four times more likely to die in childbirth than white people. Um, and there's a lot of things within care that can be addressed to reduce that number. It's preventable. So I get to um, work alongside some incredible black midwives and advocates and public health um, activists. Um, what else do I do? I love to work with the queer community. It's a really special place for me to be able to serve the community that I'm part of um, and that I'm able to be accessible for folks who are trying to conceive. Um, so being able to be part of the journey prior to birth um, and that conception, and that time of conception and keeping it sacred and filled with dignity. Um, yeah. You know, I love working with cultura. It's really lovely to be able to do birth in Tagalog and just hold that that space that I got to experience on my first birth. So there's a there's a couple of things that I'm doing. I'm working on some trainings, trainings for students, staying educated. You were talking earlier about when you first entered um, mid, I know we use midwifery, midwifery interchangeably. Um, we did find that you can pronounce it both ways for our listeners. Um, and, but earlier when you were talking to us, you were saying that when you first became a, a doula or was it a midwife that you didn't see many other uh, Philippine ex or folks of color that were actually doing this work. And so, um, when we're talking about like just the different populations that you've served, including mm -hmm. African-Americans, um, queer folks, and also um, folks, Philippine ex-folks, what are some of the challenges that you face or that you think are unique to those populations that you serve? Because you're able to maybe identify with this, these different intersectionalities, I'm sure you have a really intimate lens into these communities. Maybe like if you can kind of share some of those distinctions and challenges. One of the greatest tools that I have is listening. So as a private practice person, I can just listen and hear. You know, I think oftentimes people have a distrust in the medical system and that's actually not coming from a place of power. So holding the space to just like listen and um, maybe provide resources and education that goes along a long way, you know. Um, culturally congruent care is proven to impact 
our our health. You know, having someone that looks like us, talks like us, understands our diet, maybe understands a little bit of where we come from, actually impacts our health outcomes. So making sure that we're, you know, having more midwives to serve the communities um, like our own is super important. Um, does that answer your question? Like, is there? Yeah, totally. And then, and then even like, as you spoke about, you named three different communities, right? You named working with African-Americans, you've named working with queer folks, and you've also mentioned working with cultura, right? Folks in our community. Are there differences in like the challenges that you've seen these communities face associated with the birthing process? Sure. I mean, I could speak to the queer community. One is like, folks end up having a really like hyper-medicalized process of conception, meaning they might hire a doctor, an OB or a reproductive endocrinologist to do inseminations. And part of the angle for me is that we are not infertile necessarily. We just don't have access to sperm. So being able to keep this more intimate, um, make intimate care is one of the things that I think queer families want is like, what are our options? Can we do this at home? How can we do this at home? If we need extra help, you know, what's out there prior to using um, medicine? And if it doesn't work, who are our referrals? So that's one. Um, you know, I've seen a lot of disregard for queer families, like how do they identify? And just being able to respect them for how they identify is an important part of their care. That's who they are. Um, you know, in, in the black community, it is proven that having doulas and midwives reduce preterm labor, um, inductions, all of these main risks that plague that have you know come with historical racism and now impact black birth outcomes they can be addressed just by our care you know having someone really give them individualized personalized care um, in dignity and in relationship like not assuming the worst maybe folks need some options of how to make better choices and then that helps them become a lot healthier and have better outcomes in pregnancy um, so just providing care helps in that community um, and then in, in the Filipino community, you know, I'm really surprised and fortunate to be Filipina in the South Bay and Filipinex because folks are really looking for their options. And it's a it's quite a treasure to be able to have like the Lola running me down and being like, well, what do you do? What if this happens? And what if something happens to my child? And just being able to say, yes, you can drill me. I will tell you every emergency I've ever had to manage. I will tell you that I want to keep your child safe and your apple safe too. And so thankfully we're in the city and if it no longer feels safe, we're going to go in and actually investigating and saying like, I know that you're feeling a little scared, but what did you do? What did your Lola do? Do you know your birth story? And that's one of the funnest parts is like hearing birth stories of our community. And there's so much rich tradition around, oh yeah, of course we have bayabas. I have bayabas, we can get bayabas at the neighbor's house. Oh, of course we have malung. And all of a sudden all these really rich herbal practices, medicinal practices are pretty accessible in the backyards of LA. Um, so that's a really great part of working in, in culture. We don't have, maybe they have a chicken, maybe not, but. They probably have. <laughs> I mean, you know, our our community, like our listeners, 
I mean, everyone, even outside of the Philippine X community, is really lucky to have someone like you that's invested in these communities that need advocates like you that can really relate to not only the barriers to the birthing process, you talked about the institutionalization that occurs in hospitalizations, but someone that's passionate like you to really be a good advocate and really see the genuine needs of all these different communities. And I, I just listening to you, I feel really fortunate that we have you on our episode to really enlighten the rest of our community about what you bring to the table. And um, I just wanted to say also, I, you know, when we were doing the run of show, Joanna, I was really excited to hear all your different experiences and really touch down on, I, I shared with you, like one of the reasons why we bought, brought you on was I realized after my, my dad passed away, I had to get his birth certificate to see if I could qualify for dual citizenship. And unfortunately I didn't, but long story short, what I found on his birth certificate was that my dad was actually birthed by a midwife. So I was shocked. I didn't even know that there were midwives in the Philippines. Mm -hmm. And so when we were talking during the run of show, you, you, I was also excited to hear about your work with the Lumad people in Mindanao. I hope you can maybe share some of that. But I also wanted to, I know such a compounded question that I asked, circle back to your experience of, you mentioned Montreal. I think they they told you to get, is it the whole, like after um, oh. the, after the birthing, you mentioned Bayabas, you mentioned Malungai. Can you talk about, um, more about what that experience is like either working with the Lumad folks in Mindanao like what are some of, what is some of that knowledge that was taught to you I know earlier we we're talking more about the institution institutionalization and the birthing centers but now I really want to drop into some of the traditions that you learned and let me know if you need me to restate that because that was pretty important. <laughs> Um, you know, when I want to say that I, one of the concerns or places that I have to navigate a lot is that we are a very highly medicalized cult, like uh, the assimilation to the U.S., we've become very highly medicalized. And I'm concerned about us trusting our intuition and tradition because we really like should trust our lineage and the medicine that comes with being Filipino or Filipinx. And, um, in that journey, in all of these journeys, I started to ask a lot of questions. So one was you asked about taho, taho, but it's tahong, like muscles. Okay, so okay. Yeah, my Lola was like, do you have tahong and luya? Can you make a sabal with muscles and luya? Oh. So that's for like minerals and that's really good for breastfeeding. But also bone marrow, like nilaga, that is a profoundly powerful postpartum food. And mm -hmm. our our diet is actually really protein rich and it has really beautiful greens and a lot of sabal. And those are all really helpful things in pregnancy and postpartum. Um, mm. You know, in my, in my journey, I learned one thing I always like to say is I had this really romantic idea of like everyone was around and all the kids were around while my Lola was birthing her 10 kids at home and everyone had a role. I made up a whole story and you know, I had this idea of what it was. But when I went back last time I asked and they were like, no, we didn't, we weren't allowed in there. 
like they closed the door. It was your Lolo and like my Lola. And then they would call Kamoneng, which was the midwife of the barangay. And if, if she was available, she would make it. But sometimes it was just my Lola and my Lolo. And I really thought, wow, like we really isolate men or like make them feel like they don't have a place at the birth. But traditionally they did, whether it was praying or being with their partner, they, they had a place. Mm. They weren't like this like um, inconvenience. We, we birthed in community. Um, yeah. So that's another thing I like to say. Yeah, I had the opportunity to work with the Lumad and Lumad people are indigenous living people. They are alive. They are fighting for their land. They are fighting, you know, for their native land, their indigenous land. And they um, I had an opportunity to sit with some of the elders who are activists, environmental activists. They are Lumad. And they just happen to have this special, the side skill of being a midwife. Because if you attended birth, you were a midwife. You didn't have to be a certified midwife or do all of these things. Um, they taught me about some of the trees that are um, only specifically found in the Pantaron mountain range. Like I couldn't even name them, but they knew the combinations of these trees that helps with breastfeeding or maybe a baby that's not growing well or infections. They were like, they just said like maybe 20 different remedies that I wouldn't be able to find because I don't know how to navigate the Pantaron range like they do. Um, yeah, those are some of the things that I, that came about. I'm, I'm learning all the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think also as you were planning for this show, like I definitely, um, what I remembered is you also mentioned that there was like a distinction too, right? Between those who got, who were given birth by a midwife or those who were able to go to the hospital in the Philippines. Oh yeah. I mean, Class will do that. <laughs> um, so, you know, the majority of people in the Philippines were birthed by midwives. It was only until like, you know, 1800s, 1900s obstetrics were introduced. And obstetrics are really helpful for uh, emergencies or surgical births, but not everybody needs that. So the majority of people still utilize midwives. And even OBs would train with midwives around the world and here and in the Philippines. So, um, in the Philippines, most people who can afford to go to the hospital are going to go to the hospital, but the masses would utilize midwives. In the like different areas, impoverished areas, like housing insecure areas of the Philippines, we might um, call them spotter areas, which is maybe not the best term. They are primarily birthed there. There are midwives. There are skilled traditional midwives in all of these communities, but becoming certified limited not only their access to practice, but communities access to birth attendance. So in the Philippines, either you're going to find a barangay lying in clinic that has certified midwives, or you're gonna to go to the hospital. Um, hospitals are, I actually just read a statistic today that I have to follow up on, but it said that in COVID, the maternal and infant morbidity rate, which means the death rate, in the Philippines went up 26% because people didn't know where to go or have access to care. So actually reinforcing that midwifery, the practice of midwifery and community health providers could have been really helpful so that people didn't have to go to the hospitals. And you had like for thousands of years embedded healthcare, trained healthcare professionals. Mm -hmm. 
it would have been much more restorative to train them and give them equipment to do life-saving measures on the front, on like in the communities, than to make the communities access something that is unaffordable to them. You cannot afford to pay these, even with like Phil Health, you can't really afford. And Lumad actually weren't um, able to apply for Phil Health because they don't have birth certificates. They're Lumad. They're not Filipino. They're indigenous. So. Yeah. How did we even transition from this place of having midwives birth us to getting birth in hospitals? I know you talked about that earlier, like within kind of the, the history of looking at mid mid um, wifery or midwifery. Can mm. you kind of explain that? Like, when did that transition happen and how and why? I don't think I have a good reason why, because unfortunately, the outcomes haven't gotten better with all the medical technology. We still have pretty high C-section rates and morbidity rates. So in the, in the U.S., I know that in the 1800s and 1900s, the profession of obstetrics started. Um, and so at that time, the granny midwives, the black midwives of the U.S., and the indigenous midwives were catching babies, their babies and white babies. And once the institutionalization of birth happened, then they were able to take the exams, pass the tests, the test. And so they were now limited to providing care. Um, they are erased from the history of midwifery in the US, even though they are a majority of it. Um, in the Philippines, it's a little bit different. I, it's a little different because there was a, the World Health Organization Millennial Goals said that there should be a trained, skilled birth attendant at every birth. And somehow the Philippines interpreted that as certified midwives. And, um, and that excluded, that meant that people would have to go back to school. So whether you were skilled, whether you cut thousands of babies, whether you did sweet breaches, gambal, tw like twins, every whatever your experience was, if you didn't have the finances or the ability to go back to school or you were literate enough to go back to school, you were no longer able to practice, which could have been addressed by just educating giving higher education to the community providers, which were midwives. So in 2015, home birth became illegal. I recently went to a party and someone said, oh, you're a midwife. Oh, you know, that's that's a big hit now in the Philippines. And I was like, really? And they said, yeah, a lot of the a lot of people now who are more upper class are looking for doulas and water birth. So I actually don't know what's happening, but now we're we're going all the way back to upper class people wanting midwifery care and this personalized care and these options. So I don't know what happened in five years. Otherwise, if, if you were to have practiced um, midwifery in the Philippines, since it was illegal, you would have been incarcerated or what would have been the consequences if you got caught? It sounds like you could get fined. I'm not really clear. I know that you can get fined. I know that the barangay health officers are looking like, who. if you're not CM, you can't practice. It was kind of like a witch hunt when I came back in 2019. Like I'd be like, oh, are you a midwife? And people are like, no, no, no. I'm like, okay, were you once a midwife in the history of your life? And they're like, oh, no, no. And like, I think I heard you were a midwife. And so just being able to reframe that because maybe they thought I was going to turn them in. The consequences, sorry. Um, the consequences might be a fine. The consequences might be incarceration, sorry, my mom beach. Um, 
I heard, um, I'm not sure, but I heard when I was with the LUMAD that the first two cases were LUMAD midwives. So that would mean that the first criminalized midwives were indigenous. Um, I'm not really sure. I just know that they definitely don't want to be known, even if they have incredible skill. Um, yeah. It's unfortunate like that, like some of the things that are in the Philippines are also like prevalent here. Like you mentioned, like the incarceration of indigenous people and even like um, how African-American women and indigenous women were a part of like the birthing processes like earlier on in our history. and. It's, and just how it was in the Philippines. So it, it's kind of interesting and and un unfortunate that like the discrimination is the same. I mean, one thing that I have to always remember is we have so, I might be the first, the most, I, I'm privileged enough to have dropped my life and go to school to become an LMCPM ABCLC, but we have a lot of midwives we have a lot of titas who are, who are LVNs, who are in home health care, and they weren't able to get their RN certified nurse midwife, or they're not able to practice. So even here, we have within our families, skilled birth attendants who may not practice that skill. You know, it wasn't valued as much as working in the hospital. Home birth was not a, um, was looked at as like a lower class care. And now, it's upper class, scare. Well, that is so amazing how um, midwifery has progressed um, to being um, looked at as the way to go. So I have a question for the people. Um, for members of our community that are looking for midwifery resources for their loved ones or would like to learn more about it, what are some resources that you can share with us? How can our community get access to these types of supports since we understand you can't be anywhere and everywhere? Are there other individuals or organizations that you would recommend? Yeah, absolutely. I think that knowing your options, we can do a lot of research. And so I just really want to encourage people to research their options. So it might be, what are the options about for birth in my area? Do we have like... Edmund said, nurses in our hospital, nurse midwives in our hospital, maybe that feels good. I'm curious about home birth. Maybe some people will look up why they, um, why people want a home birth. And then you can look up home birth midwives. There's um, an organization called the California Association of Licensed Midwives, and they have a midwife search there for California. Um, there is a, a handout that I will link and, and send to you guys and it's the birthing people's bill of rights and it breaks down how to you know what are your rights what are the questions you might ask your providers your ob's or midwives how to advocate because sometimes people just don't know what their options are um look for birthing centers in your area look for doulas and uh, bipoc doulas in your area um on friday nights there is something called dede diner and it is two dear friends of mine, one who is another Filipina lactation consultant and um, a student who is becoming a lactation consultant and they offer free breastfeeding support and I can send that link over too. Um, yeah, and then there's some other really great, there's the Global Media Project that has really great videos and I can send this all your way. 
I'm sure after this episode, they're going to be like, how do we book you, Joanna, <laughs> for our friends and loved ones? I mean, you have, like, are you, do you have flexibility in that? Are you booked? And if you're booked, do you have other folks that you want to, you know, shout out and be like, I'm booked, but you can see this person? <laughs> yeah, well, I just found out that there's another Filipina named Kim Katabagan who, um, is licensed and is moved in our area. So in LA, there's another Filipina or Filipina midwife. Um, I am happy to like refer all of my folks, but they're probably booked too. We should definitely look at Tribe Midwifery and Crimson Fig Midwifery and Community Partera and most of the folks that I've had the privilege of growing up as a midwife with, um, you know. The um, Southern, if you're in the South, the Southern uh, Birth Justice Organization, that has really great access to midwives in the South. I think I'm more affiliated with like California, maybe a little bit of Phoenix, New Mexico, Colorado, Miami, New York. Um, but I'm also happy to respond. So like if we can create a little flyer, I'm happy to put these this information out there. Um, if I'm available, I would love to have you. <laughs> um, and then if not, I just want to encourage people to look at their birthing options. I can be a bit un inaccessible because it's just me and I don't get to take insurance as a licensed midwife. I can only take PPOs, so it's a, bar a financial barrier for folks. So you have to look into what is available, what's accessible, you know, um, and then what you're wanting to invest in, what kind of care you want to be on your team. Yeah, after this episode, we're going to definitely have to ask you for some of those organizations that you dropped or, you know, folks so that we can make sure to add those on our stories. Mm -hmm. um, so before we close, uh, we you know we always like to ask our guests, what are your own wellness practices? Because clearly it sounds like I'm sure you're busy. So, you know, what do you do for self-care that might be inspirational, like for our listeners when you're not actively called to assess, assist with a birth? Well, I just went camping. So that is always a way for me to like immediately clear my mind. Um, so being outdoors is one of my easiest or most accessible medicines. So being in a tent with a fire, with really um, basic, basic technology helps me just tune in. Um, I like to paddleboard. Being on the water is also something to navigate for me. Um, and then, like many providers, it's hard to access self-care. So I have to work just as hard as everybody else to make sure I make time. Like, I'm not here to say I do it all the time, but I do know it feels good when I make the time for it. All right. So as we begin to close, how can our listeners find you if they have any additional questions or would like to book you as their own midwife? You can go to MalayaMidwifery.com um, and fill out a consultation. I don't check. I'm going to be honest. I do not check Instagram. So please go to MalayaMidwifery.com and then email and that would get to me or JG at MalayaMidwifery.com. If you do Instagram me, I will check it occasionally, uh, but it probably won't be prompt <laughs> to be honest because I'm just here caring for families. 
Well, we appreciate your transparency. <laughs> and don't worry, because we'll plug you. Now that you're on this episode, we got you, Joanna. We're going to do your marketing for you. Okay. So, <laughs> so we just wanted to, again, you know, really thank you for talking to our community about your acts of service as a midwife, because that truly is an act of service, really bringing people into life. I mean, that's really a gift. And yeah, not everybody can do that. So it was an honor to just have you in our space. And we're excited to witness how your journey continues to unfold and are here to support you as your Philippine X and Wellness family. Well, we always say in midwifery that we don't do it, that you guys do it. That the power is in the family's hand and they do the work. And we're pretty honored to be there to catch, to support. Y'all got to do the work. That's some big, 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 big work. The work. <laughs> and to our listeners, look out for our next session that we will air on Wednesday, June 15th. We will be featuring Kalayaan Mendoza of Nonviolent Peace Force to talk to us about community safety and mutual protection as we enter Pride Month. And that will be a live stream, y'all. So look out. Um, actually, it will be on Wednesday, June 8th. Sorry, that's an error. It'll be Wednesday, June 8th that we'll be having Kalaya and Mendoza. <clears throat> As we close, we'd like to say thank you to our guest speaker, Joanna Galvez, our stage and tech manager for the evening, Edmund Flores, our temporary social media intern and amazing host that stepped in, Kat Torio, our co-host, SoCal Filipinos, our designer and beat maker, Richie, for your consent to use your tracks on our show. Kiwi, Elefante in the Bay Area with Harvey Drums and David Ose Afrifa of Urban Science. Shout out to Balaktasan Collective, gotta mention the connection. Our advisors, Allison De La Cruz and Rian De Los Reyes. Our community partners, this Filipino American Life and Trek Table. And really all of y'all, are all of you community members for your shares and contributions. As always, we'll share more about our guest speakers offerings on our Instagram stories and highlights. So don't worry about not writing everything down. Um, and they'll be available for permanent access in, uh, with our upcoming events. So be sure to follow us at Philippine X and Wellness on Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube, and on Twitter at Philippine X, the letter N, well, followed by the letters N and S, uniquely spelled for Twitter character limits. Don't forget to continue to hit the subscribe button on our Philippine X and Wellness YouTube channel. We appreciate your support and thank you always. Thank you, both of you. Uh, you're amazing. Have a good night, everyone. Continue to take care of yourselves and each other. Maraming salamat. Durugid na nga salamat. Sakala salamat. Yeah.